So what the Internet of Things does is it allows us to take a real-time sensor, put it in the water, and then get real-time results measuring every five minutes and understanding what the trend analysis is and seeing differences. Well, wow, um, so that's, that's night and day difference, isn't it? When you can get instant, yes, instant data basically yeah. as often as you want Absolutely. versus you know what could take multiple days. Multiple days and, or months and, in and, some cases yeah. too. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. It's good to be back. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we're with Ulrich Fruick, uh, who is the uh, the founder of Adroit. Uh, yes. Welcome along. Good to see you. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time coming. I know we've uh, you know we've we've uh, we've yeah we've talked about it for uh, you know for probably a reason, reasonable uh, reasonable period. So, yeah, it's uh, fine. Uh, but I'm yeah. finally here, and and you know we're a lot further forward now, so we can talk about some really cool tech stuff. So. Yeah. So maybe just give a little intro to uh, to listeners in terms of you know who you are sure. and, and where you fit into this big okay. wide world of tech sure. in New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So my name is Ulrich Frick. I'm the founder and uh, chief innovation officer at Adroit. Um, Adroit is an environmental testing company. We do real-time monitoring uh, inside of rivers, lakes, streams, um, and construction sites. Uh, um, we're, we're, uh, we're a leading IoT company here in New Zealand, so we specialise in the Internet of Things. Mm. Um, so we um, can put sensors in the middle of nowhere and get data from them and use that to create really cool insights and understanding. Um, that's a real short, short a synopsis. I can go. Yep. A bit, we'll, uh, we'll definitely delve we're, delve in a discuss. bit more um, as we get in there. So yeah, bit of a bit to talk about on sort of from a tech news perspective in terms of what's happening yep. uh, locally in New Zealand, some around the world news, and then you know really keen to uh, to delve into um, some of the you know fun and innovative stuff that uh, yeah. is keep keeping you and the team busy at uh, at Adroit. Um, first up. Uh, Ministry of Education, uh, look, really good to good to see their um, guidance is is now uh, out online, and for those that are looking for that, um, we'll we'll put those into the uh, show notes for New Zealand this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, but yeah, just great great to see guidance, um, you know, focused on Chat GPT yeah, totally. and generative AI for those in in the world of education. So totally. you know, teachers and and educators getting you know getting some guidance around you know chat gpt and bing and and you know the varying other uh, tools and and the likes of um, you know midjourney which does some you know pretty mind blowing uh, you know image generation and 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 the like uh, so yeah just i think you know it's it's encouraging to to see that that there's not just this you know i think initially there was there was sort of uh, you know concerns that it was going to be Blanket bans and 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 you know look we've you know we have seen some of that and mm-hmm. there there is a degree to which it takes time to figure out how do you respond when a new piece of technology you Absolutely. know launches today what do you you know what do you do with it to tomorrow and uh, when when an education system has been built in a you know in a particular way that doesn't account for things oh, that, uh, you know, uh, have yeah, just it's, drop it's, onto the scene. It creates yeah, some challenges, doesn't it? It's been a real interesting kind of um, growth space, you know, for me to watch as well from a technology perspective. Mm. It's such a clever thing. Um, you know, how do you, you know, how do you detect whether it is 
a human written something or it's AI written something and how do you know that it's actually really true and it hasn't made it up in the in the process and there have been some you know some examples of where ChatGPT has made stuff up that's come out of nowhere so if you prompt it in the right way it doesn't make it up so you've got to know the actual you know what you need to to tell it to do to get to the right point yeah and are you even in the room here with me yeah absolutely is, right is, is, is this a real person yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's been really interesting for me for, um, as, a, as a learning tool, you know, trying to understand things in the water space a bit more. I'm, mm. I'm not a scientist by any means, but I need to understand what I'm putting in the field. And you, you say, can you please tell me about this particular thing? It goes away and it actually gives you a really good a synopsis. Mm. Um, it, it makes you understand it a lot easier than having to go and read a 47-page paper, right? So, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's definitely got some – it's definitely got some some space, you know, Maybe I won't give it to my ten-year-old, but when he's maybe fifteen, I'll I'll let him have access to it. You know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that's one of the interesting things I saw in their guidance was around the um, you know, the age restrictions, and that yeah, for instance, uh, Chat GPT, uh, in theory, you must be at least thirteen years old to use it, and if you're under eighteen. Um, you must have, you know, parent or, or a parent or, or legal guardian's permission. Yep. Now, you know, re- realistically, probably, you know, if somebody jumps online, they're not necessarily going to have any awareness of that at all because, no. you know, who reads all those bits and pieces. Um, but it is, you know, encouraging to see that they're they're putting some of this uh, some of this guidance out there. And 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 accepting that, look, AI tools are already in use today. And one of one of, an educator that I you know spoke to a, a while back, in her case, one of, one of her situations was she had been given a, a different class to teach the you know the next yeah, sure, day. She's sure. like, oh, I've got to prepare a lesson plan and you know rah rah. And I said, oh well, you know, have a look at Chat GPT. Let's <laughs> see what the technology can do for you. Yeah. And uh, you know, for yeah, for for a teacher that has to, you know, organise a a lot of lesson plans or a last minute lesson plan and totally. so on, you know, the ability of uh, these AI tools to uh, actually do a yeah. whole lot of work, research, whatever you know, whatever it is in a given uh, circumstance can be yeah. uh, incredibly useful. It's a it's a very useful thing for me. Um, you know, my mind is often thinking about the next idea and the next you know thing. That exists, and you know what I do is I sometimes um, struggle to get what's in my head out on onto paper into into readable form or like a really understandable form, where I can use you know ChatGPT now to kind of give it a whole bunch of stuff from my head that makes no sense, and it actually turns it into something that makes a lot of sense, and and other people can now understand a bit more of what's going on in my head, and you know it's it's a really useful tool for me. I've you know I've discovered a lot of stuff inside of it that's really helped me. Um, you know, grow um, to be a better, you know, you know, sort of chief innovation officer to understand what's happening in the tech world. It's, it's been a really useful tool. Yeah, but, well, but things just move so fast, don't they? Yeah, but also it's also scary because sometimes it's like, how did you know about that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, so, so there are definitely some some things to to keep in a watchful eye. What I've discovered is it's become more and more uh, good at writing English. At the very beginning, it was you could detect it was immediately ChatGPT, and now it, you struggle to detect this ChatGPT. You can tell it's got little little things where it puts little commas and things where a human wouldn't do that, but it's definitely a lot smarter than it was a week ago. Mm. 
And next week it'll be it? even more smarter, you know. So yeah, and <laughs> uh, and then you know you've got the aspect of how it's going to how these tools will cope with with you know say Tereo, uh, you know how how they're going to sort of be be fitting into cater to you know, a really broad range of 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 scenarios. Obviously, at, you know at the moment there's some things they're very good at, some things not so good, some things where they completely hallucinate, and you know you are you ask for you ask for something and it. It just doesn't have the right source, you know. It doesn't doesn't find an answer, so you know it, it makes one up because they are, um, you know, in simple terms, a, a prediction engine. Yep, totally. And, right. uh, you know, pred- they predict what, uh, what, yeah, you you may want to hear possibly. Um, so yeah, it's but yeah, well well done to the Ministry of Education uh, to Absolutely. have have that up there. Um, and there's even some um, some some guidance that they link to from um, NZQA uh, specifically about reducing the risk of of cheating um, yep. through the the NCAA, uh, you know the the exams. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, yeah, just just good to see see that information sort of succinctly uh, collated together. Um, you know, into some, you know, at, at least some, you know, some guidance, totally. and uh, yeah, keeping it reasonably, reasonably accessible and, and not too, not too complicated. Totally. I was walking through the Auckland University campus the other day, and um, there was a big, on the on the one of the boards, there was a big ChatGPT crossed out. Do not use ChatGPT. So there's obviously some some educators that are starting to see it, especially around universities, right? Uh, I recently passed a medical exam over in the US. It passed the medical exam in like seven, like seventeen minutes or something. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of some of the things that we that we you know that we see, uh, the technology applied to the results are you know, are quite phenomenal. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the the key point is the res- results may uh, may vary, and uh, we yeah we've certainly seen the, the negative scenarios. Um, in terms of uh, international news, lots and lots of things going on. Yep. Um, as, as always, uh, recently saw saw news coming through on um, uh, from from Google on their uh, their quantum computer uh, tech, and yep. this is you know something where we we've got a you know a number of the big players, mm. um, including you know Google, Microsoft, uh, you know IBM, working away on. They've been kind of highlighting that they're kind of ahead of the the pack with a, a recently um, published paper, and yeah, just you know how beyond the capabilities of traditional Absolutely. supercomputers that uh, that that they've got to um, now. I think you know we, we've we've still got uh, a, a road ahead uh, when it comes to. Quantum computing, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but if it all comes together, um, then yeah, it's gonna, it, it will be one of the massive, yeah, uh, yeah you know, disruption, uh, you know, points. Absolutely, it's it's a, it's a super interesting um, space. I mean, I was reading some stats uh, yesterday. It said that um, a a normal transaction that a normal supercomputer would take forty seven years to master can be done instantly on a quantum computer. And I, like, I don't know if you've looked into the whole in, in entanglement theory. Um, it's now proven where you entangle two qubits together and separate them by thousands of miles, and they react exactly the same way. It's like, so hard it's, to get your head around like that, how, isn't it? How can like how how is that possible? Um, you know, it's it's pretty pretty cool. 
um, you know, quantum entanglement for those that want to go and, and look quantum for some entanglement in yeah. YouTube videos and 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 content to try and explain it. Then maybe you can explain it uh, um, back to me as to as to how it actually works. Because uh, I don't know how it works. It's, it's, it's just, kind of mind blowing. It's, it's, it's it? mind blowing. But you know, the thing is, um, to understand, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was like. You know, at the moment, the quantum computers can take something from the internet today and store it in its in its power. And if it can't break the encryption today, and and but it, but it breaks the encryption in ten years, it can then go back and break all the encryption across all those things instantly because it can break the encryption in in in, in hours. You know, but you know that kind of starts at the moment. We're up to around 70, 70 qubits. And they're talking about this, you know, these things being at, at million qubits, being being able to start breaking encryptions and stuff like that, which is it's where it starts getting a little bit scary, right? So, <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always going to be a, um, a an aspect of technology that will that will scare us, right? And, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we we usually um, you know hopefully land on on the the better and most appropriate uses of the technology. But, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, you can't completely control these things. No. Uh, as we've seen with Twitter over the last uh, last few days, uh, Elon Musk announcing uh, temporary limits for reading uh, Twitter posts. Yep. And uh, I think they they started with. Um, uh, unverified um, accounts having access to read just 600, 600. posts a, a day, yep. uh, even less if it was a new account, um, and then sort of you know 10x if you've got a, a verified or a, or a paid yep. um, account in terms of the amount. Um, I think that's that's bumped up. Um, it's, a, bumped, it's up to a thousand now. You know, a couple yeah. of times I think it went to four hundred and eight hundred and eight thousand. Um, and uh, yeah, now you know, ten thousand posts uh, was was I think the last one that we uh, that we saw. Uh, if you've got a paid account or you know, thousand posts a, a day, I wonder uh, what is the actual paid. driver behind it is. Is it to you know get people to be verified, or is it to actually help from a technical perspective? Well, the the bits and pieces I saw were were saying that there was massive um, uh, data scraping go, yep. going on. Um, and there was also a reference to system manipulation. So I'm not exactly sure, um, you know, what that is. But uh, those that have been around for a really long time on Twitter um, might remember the Twitter fail whale, uh, and that's kind of what used to come up when Twitter wasn't uh, wasn't working. The fail whale, um, yep. And and it was a very very common sight. Uh, and and you know this was when they were, you know, they they were a, a, a big well known. Uh, social network, but you know a lot earlier on in their in their history, and it was amazing the technical kind Absolutely. of challenges that that they had. Um, I remember one of their one of their top um, uh, technical team members, uh, uh, Rafi Kikorian, if I remember if I'm pronouncing his uh, name correctly, was was down here for for an event, and I think we've even hit, might have had him on um, NZ Tech podcast. Uh, Back then, and and awesome. you know that was part of his job was um, you know keeping and and building building things out in a really kind of uh, solid manner. Um, it's still such a large social media network. I mean, it's got so many users, right? And you know, even with all the changes going on now, that Elon bus is put in, everyone's like, "Oh, Elon's a CEO. Oh, I'm not going to be on it anymore." And but they're still on it, and they're still using it, and. You know, it's still a really important place. You know, I use it all the time for searching or looking up. You know, you know particular influencers or you know tech people, especially. Yeah, I th- you know I think it's it's about the people, it's about the content, and 
you know, to a, to a large degree, yeah, we we still uh, find you know great great content on there, uh, great people. Not some some people that you might not feel are so great, <laughs> exactly. um, but that's that's the yeah, nature of social totally. media and the ability to sort of control your feed by who you yep. you know who you follow and yeah, um, you absolutely. know I think uh, um, yeah it will be interesting to yeah you know, maybe when when um, uh, Musk has has you know been the the main shareholder for you know, a couple of years to kind of look back and uh, and see see where it's actually landed whether he's been able to. Uh, turn it into a yeah a thriving and successful business from a, a monetary standpoint, or you know exactly where, what it, what its role is. Uh, other other things uh, going on. Um, there's been uh, you know chunk of criticism around the, the proposed um, European Union um, AI yep. act. Yep. So Absolutely. yeah, really really interesting to to follow these things as. As governments try and uh, you know put put a legal framework and, and structure yeah, around absolutely. technology, it's, it's one of those things that is is so so challenging. But also, yeah, if it can be done well and and uh, you know we we get uh, the right sort of outcomes, which of course are always open to debate, is what is the right sort of outcome and and what should legislation look like around technology. Um, but but it can have a really really important um, part to part to play, but can also yeah completely um, you know create scenarios where where you know puts a stop to, to being able to leverage great technology. So Abs- absolutely, and the thing that was um, in the sort of AI act that I read and I, I've done a little bit of uh, reading about it is it was quite quick. It was it was made very quickly in the mm. process, which is unusual, isn't it? Very unusual. Like you know, it hasn't gone through the proper process to get done. You know, like it hasn't mm. been mm. you know written over a two year period or, or 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 longer. It's been written in a very very short period of time, and there and there are a lot of AI experts out there that are saying that it is a little bit. Um, uh, you know, it's a it's it's a little bit quick. There's still no understanding of some of the technology and some of of the growth within inside of the artificial intelligence world, especially around the generative AI, mm. where they've seen exponential growth happening so quickly. So what you know what uh, what some of the experts are saying is there should be a freeze on AI for for a short period of time, so we can get our head around and understand it a little bit better. So we can put some policies and stuff in place, but policies that are you know, spoken about with other people, with with the AI experts, and not just written by a government who potentially, you know, don't really know everything yet. If yeah, I may. One, of, so one of the bits that did bluntly say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that did um, jump out was a provision related to requiring that generative AI uh, creators disclose uh, copyright material. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I see some some wisdom. In, you know and in including this because yeah at the moment we you know we see whether it's uh, Google Bard or chat GPT and so yep. on you know, these tools are able to draw from you know copyrighted content yeah often with with no reference at all uh, to to the source so yeah there's definitely some some important considerations there yeah, totally. because look if if you don't do that and and the content, Creators, the copyright holders aren't getting any sort of reference back. Yep. Then, surely at some point you get a scenario where 
people will just hide all their content so that a, um, AI can't get to it, which Absolutely. is partly you know one of the suggestions around what's happened with Twitter is, yeah. hey, you know, uh, you know um, OpenAI have turned on you know browsing and ChatGPT, so people are asking for stuff, and then ChatGPT is going out and you know browsing all over all over Twitter and um, you know creating a uh, a nightmare in terms of um, you know, traffic for uh, yeah, uh, for Twitter totally. to, to deal with, but Absolutely. yeah, there's there's a whole lot of uh, aspects here, I guess, to be considered. Um, what I understand is that the European Parliament, um, you know, has passed the uh, the legislation, but it becomes law if and when it is ratified by each uh, EU country. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's uh, that's that's kind of the. The hold up, and probably in the meantime, they may well figure out that there are um, there are things to be to be fixed uh, in the legislation. And so, I think they've already they've already you know done done an amendment um, you know at at the last minute, sort of prior to passing sure. it. So sure. maybe there will be more of that uh, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, there were uh, there was a um, a open letter written with 160 signatures from a number of different organizations to the, to the government. I don't know what the outcome of that was. Um, um so you know, yeah, really well, I think that's kind of the trying to sort of stir things up and yeah. sort of, you know, maybe challenge some of the approaches Absolutely that, right. uh, that, that um, you were you were taking. A um, couple of other bits of news uh, Google domains uh, yeah. shutting shutting down. Interesting and it's, transferring it to to, uh, to their Squarespace. Yeah, really yeah interesting. Look, we, we we see these big companies, you know, come up with so many so many things, and I think you know Google have to be you know close to the leader when it comes to you know, new ideas, launching yeah, totally. them, and yes, then kill, yes. and then killing them off. Yeah, uh, which yeah, I think you know there, there's two sides to to that. Look, I like the idea of um, you know, of companies innovating and trying new things and coming up with new things, but uh, you know, I'm not I'm not super comfortable when when those things uh, you know get get shut down. Yeah, uh, sometimes at a at a you know at a pace that just sort of doesn't yeah doesn't it doesn't seem like the the right thing. It's like, come on, Google, if you decided that this was something that you should launch, um, you know, it's almost like you know they they need to commit now that they that something they launch is going to stick around for you know and that they give maybe a a 5 year warning period or Absolutely. you know something like you know with major software vendors there's usually a a window they don't just kind of cut the software off and say oh look this is going to be gone in in 6 months 12 months etc yeah, it's absolutely. usually quite a quite a long period of time so uh to to see yeah, Google uh, shutting these things off. And the funny thing was with the, um, the Google domains, it was launched in, in 2014. Okay. Only exited beta last year in 2022. So they're like, yep, we're ready. We're live. Yep, we're, we're out of beta. We're a fully released thing. S- such a and funny then, thing to And do, then right? the next year they're like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, we, we're going to – this is this is going for the chop. So, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, you know, if you read some of the articles around Google, you know, they're bringing um, new things to life on a weekly basis, right? They bring in so many things, and, and a lot of stuff doesn't come anywhere near close to being launched or mm, as a product. Mm, mm. But all of the products that they do bring to market, or or they or they do bring to some kind of fruition internally, externally, is uh, listed on one of their websites. They've got um, a list of almost every single one. There's thousands of them. 
And, um, you know, it's super interesting to see, I can't remember the figure, but it's like, it was like two or 3% of all things thought of in Google come to life, whether that's through, you know, Google hosting services or, you know, anything like that, you know, it's quite a low percentage, <laughs> really, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, and I don't know what their metrics are, but, um, you know, you know, um, you know, as a, as a as a company, sometimes if you know something is front and center and is not working, the best thing to do is to cut it. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> so. yeah, it, it absolutely has to be done. And these these things, yeah, don't always work. And mm. I, I certainly like to see companies working to innovate and doing new things. Yeah, we saw it with Spark. With I mean, a range of things like Spark Sport. But there, there comes a point where you, you have to make a you have to make a bit of a call. Yep. But if if for instance Spark were announcing new things every five minutes and and they were killing off other things every five minutes, then yep. you know that that creates uh, an issue. I'm not picking on Spark, but you know <laughs> it's yeah something that I you know I think these big companies have to realise that. Their actions, you know, impact their reputation yeah, totally. and whether we have confidence in them. In the same ways, with with the big layoffs that we've seen across a lot of the big tech players, absolutely right. Uh, that has that has consequences and how how people you know feel about um, you know a business that maybe in the past they they would have you know um, done just about anything for and uh, yeah, you totally. know some some of these things I think uh, have some pretty long standing. Uh, con- consequences. consequences, yeah, yeah, totally but, right, absolutely. Yep, that's them's the breaks. Uh, you know, we just we have to we have to go with what uh, what happens. There's not too much uh, that we can do. No. Um, now on the um, cyber attack front, that we yes. you know we just continue seeing uh, uh, seeing dramas and um, some of the ones uh, recently biggest. Uh, uh, one of the biggest law firms from uh, from Australia uh, Im- impacted uh, HWL uh, Ebsworth. So yeah. Um, yeah, hundreds of of their clients, including you know uh, dozens of of government agencies in in Australia, um, impacted. Uh, we saw uh, PwC and EY sort of you know tied in yeah. uh, there as well with these uh, cyber attacks um, uh, linked to the MoveIt uh, software. So yeah, it's just uh, I guess another day, another hacking. But uh, yeah, you kind of got to got to think we we can uh, maybe do better on, yeah, uh, yeah. on on some of these things. But it is also getting harder. You know, I think the the latest uh, New Zealand government report has you know, shown quite a strong. You know, uptick in in the number of cyber uh, incidents yeah, impacting huge, huge. Uh, New Zealand. Uh, yet there, yeah, you know, some organisations are, are still uh, are still you know seem reasonably relaxed or, or moving quite slowly to uh, to secure themselves. Yeah, and it's a super interesting kind of topic to understand because cyber attacks um, are going to go up, and and you know, especially with the sort of AI space, you know, that it's becoming a lot easier to. To get through um, a process, and and what you understand is a cyber attack doesn't necessarily mean someone's hacked your password. Um, there are other ways that cyber attacks can occur. Like I was mentioning that story earlier on, where a friend of mine they reset his Google password, um, which rang his mobile phone, left a voicemail message on his phone. They used they hacked his voicemail password to get the reset pin, reset his pin, and sent an email to his accountant to transfer fifty thousand dollars. 
well, that's a cybercrime and that's and that occurs, um, you know, so easily. So, you know, um, I can't remember the number, but, you know, two-factor, who has two-factor on? Not many people unless you're forced to turn it on in the process, right? Unless you've got a, you know, iCloud account or a Google account where you have to have to have it in place. You know, so cybercrimes, you know, if, if someone wants to get into into your business, they'll find the weakest, uh, the weakest point. So it's really important to have a clear idea of what your cybersecurity needs to be, really clear idea. You know, and companies like AWS and Google have a suite of tools and a suite of, of things that can really help your business understand. You know, we go through what we call at Adroit, we, we go through the, the FTR uh, uh, review once a year where we get, you know, Amazon to independently audit our security. We also have a security company called Few that does a, a full set of, of security packets mm. that we go through mm. and we look, do a little bit of penetrative testing. You know, we, we definitely spend a bit more on cybersecurity because we have to. We don't want to be the uh, the Bluetooth fish tank that stole the $60 million, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so cybersecurity, cyber especially now, should be top of mind for any business, whether you're small, medium, large, enterprise, government. You know, cybersecurity is really important and all it takes is one, one, one weak link. You know, so. Yeah, there's a new program that's just come out on uh, TVNZ. You've been scammed. Uh, yep. Looks to be a, a good watch. I, I just saw, saw a little bit of it uh, last night, and yeah, you know, covers off a whole lot of sort of scenarios. But good, good education, so yep. that's really accessible, uh, and you know, good to get your family members and and so on um, watching. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's the sort of sort of content that can make a real difference uh, to New Zealand because it's it's really absolutely uh, really you know friendly and and accessible content. Um, you know, Nigel Ladder, you know, I think does a does a good job of uh, <laughs> yes, he does. You know, um, make making it easy for, for people to get their head yeah, around yeah, totally right. uh, totally, a subject totally. that that often um, yeah is just like oh, I don't want to don't want to learn about that stuff. But uh, yeah, good good. You know, education uh, wrapped up in in entertainment. So, yep. uh, yeah, really, really pleasing to uh, to have that content coming through. Um, just also on the, on the sort of cyber front, yep. um, we we heard about um, Reddit uh, hackers demanding uh, uh, a four point five million dollar US uh, ransom <laughs> yes. and uh, and requesting a- API uh, pricing changes. So yeah. this is all we got the. <laughs> The hacktivist type of uh, you know scenario, yeah. and I, look, I think we will we will continue to see you know, these sorts of things where disgruntled parties or or, or those that aren't happy with the direction an exactly. organisation is uh, is taking, um, you know, will use hacking as part of their mix. Exactly. And of course, with these scenarios, they they're not necessarily just coming from outside. There can be people you know yeah, internally totally. who who disagree with how. An organisation is operating and, exactly. and can help facilitate uh, these things. So you know, uh, we will continue to have, I think, some uh, some you know challenging times ahead. Absolutely. Um, probably time we 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 drill in and, and hear a little bit more sure. um, around Adroit. Maybe yeah, sure. you could give a little bit of you know background of uh, you know um, how, how things started sh- out and sure. where you are now. Sure. Uh, well, Adroit's uh, nine, almost ten years old now. So we we started. Um, Back in 2014, we were actually founded in Germany of all places with a friend of mine. And um, my background prior to that is building automation. I used to work for Bang & Olufsen um, doing a lot of the installation stuff and was always frustrated by why two devices can't talk to one another. 
So the idea of where the company started was where IoT is now, basically a language translator, you know, making everything standardised so that when one thing talks to another thing, there's a really, you know, clear understanding between those two devices and that's how the Adroit started. It was called Juicebox originally and um, we rebranded about six or seven years ago. And we, through the way, were involved in bringing existing protocols. You know, there are things like Modbus and Backnet and these are all things that exist on all the devices that we have in in our life today, our cameras, our TVs, everything has one of these protocols in it. And, um, you know, how do we take those which are currently not live real-time systems, they're reporting to a like an internal network, uh, internal automation network, and how do we take those and make them field ready and put them out in the middle of nowhere where they can be remote and not have to rely on big power suppliers and, and big technology and that kind of stuff? And I guess the the, the you know continued improvement, miniaturization, yeah, uh, lower power requirements, all of these sorts of things play into this world of the Internet of Things, Absolutely. these connected, um, you know, devices. So yeah, over, even over that that period that you've been operating, yeah, you know. Yeah, Ongoing, continuous um, Im- improvement. Yeah. Um, CICD type styles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what would what would you say? Are sort of, you know, the typical problems that uh, Adroit sets out to sort of help solve for, sure. you know, for the New Zealand organisations that you work with. What are some examples? So, think about uh, water monitoring um, in a river. You know, um, our riverways unfortunately um, have. A long way to go before they're back to a good state. You know, people are swimming them and getting sick. And the current state of play is, is a person goes to a site and takes a, a glass jar of water and closes off and sends it off to the lab and the lab does the result. And that result can take five days, ten days to get the result. So, so the result is already behind in understanding. So then they take that and they put it into a model and, you know, understand what's happening by, you know, predicting a bit more in the future. So what the Internet of Things does is it allows us to take a real-time sensor, put it in the water, and then get real-time results measuring every five minutes and understanding what the trend analysis is and seeing differences. Well, um, so that's, that's night and day difference, isn't it, when you can get instant, yes, instant data basically yeah. as often as you want Absolutely. versus you know what could take multiple days. Multiple days and, or months and, in and, some cases yeah, too. And if, it's, and if it's water quality um, – yeah, this is the sort of thing that can save lives or health and you know, safety. On, on one. one end, you know, it, it can lead to that. On the other end, uh, you know, if if a, a waterway, uh, you know, had been you know had having issues, um, yeah, you could open it up for use a lot quicker. Absolutely, if the data's you know come back clear, you Absolutely. know, over whatever period of Absolutely. time, Absolutely. Uh, to give that confidence, right? Or so you it can, can really find, speed things up. Or you can find something. So you know, from a health and safety perspective, you're not allowed to go into the field and get a grab sample when it's pouring with rain because it might flood and there's a bit of a health and safety risk. Yeah. So yep. when when you when you have a sensor in place during a flood event, you actually can see the data during the flood event and understand what's happening when that flood event happens, mm. and you're not having to like predict what happened, how much sediment went down, how much E. coli came down, what was the runoff from the farm, you know, all these questions that sometimes can't be answered because it's too difficult to get there. Yeah, We can now get there because the technology is already in the waterway or on the site or wherever it is in the process. Yeah, yeah. But also it's bringing the intelligent people, the, um, you know, 
the water scientists who would be the ones or the hydrologists who would be the ones going and doing these grab samples, mm, actually mm. giving them better data to work with. There are a lot of challenges around collecting the data, of course. You know, the sensors in, in, in the field, you know, get affected by environmental effects themselves. They get affected by the amount of sediment in the water or a or a bug or a leaf or an eel. I've got my, I had, yeah, my finger, yeah, yeah. I had my finger bitten by an eel. Oh, really? I caught like a two meter long eel. I flicked it up in the air. We just stopped filming. We were doing this little video shoot. That was yeah. quite a quite a funny thing. Um, and did, uh, did, you didn't grab it and cook it up? No, well, like, it was attached to my finger. And then as I got halfway through, it like came off, sliced my finger open. That was, that was a bit of fun. And then it ended up Ouch. slippery and back into the river. Oh, okay. So, so no smoked, smoked eel for dinner. No smoked eel for dinner. Okay. Sorry about that. Next time I'll get one, I'll <laughs> bring it up to you, Paul. <laughs> so we understand that there's a level where we have to look at, you know, you know, using AI tools to understand what the, what state the sensor's in at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, is the sensor dirty? Is it clean? If it's dirty, we need to get a technician out there. Is the data, um, you know, if the, if the information was okay for two or three weeks and wasn't really – mission critical is it is it so important to go and clean it or can I wait for the next cycle or in some cases we we're uh, working with um, you know watercare at the moment looking at an E. coli sensor and um, it's you know it's it's really important part of a process so it needs to be accurate all the time so we need to make sure if it is dirty that we detect it's dirty and we clean it you know so there are right, some challenges right. like that and, that and I guess as as the the cost on the technology comes down it becomes easier to have a level of redundancy as well, doesn't it? So Absolutely. You've, got, you've got multiple sensors that are you're comparing the data off off each of them and uh yeah. you know, if one drops out then it's you know, it's it's less of a drama. But Absolutely. Uh, and a, and inside of a catchment, say you've got a water catchment going into the Waikato River, you might have a sensor network. So you you might have two, three, four, five, six, seven mm. sensors mm. in a space of, you know, you know, ten square kilometers or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the more granularity, if you find out where there are issues, you can then trace back where those issues are coming from. And um, there was a story, it's not a New Zealand story, it's, a, it's an overseas story, but a sentiment manufacturer found a farmer pumping effluent into the river, but he had installed his pipe at the very bottom of the river so no one would ever see it. And he turned the pumps on at midnight, not during the day, so no one saw where it was coming from. And they were able to use the sensor to trace back where it was coming from. Right. So that technology was able to to help them, um, you know, ascertain where the issue was coming from in the process. Right. That's brilliant. Being That's brilliant. In, being yep. in real time. So when it when it's happening and where it's happening. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And you know, we're doing other things. Um, you know, in the field, um, we've got a, a a number of geotechnical products that we're bringing to market at the moment. Um, geotechnical products are wells and bores. So understanding the groundwater levels, which they use from a construction perspective. Um, you know, we don't have any mines here, but in Australia, you know, lots of mining. But I didn't realise there's like two or 3,000 dip bores in Auckland alone. If you walk down the street, you see these little tiny round copper uh, brass lids that say bore monitor and underneath there is a bore and they're oh, in the middle okay. of the street. Yeah, you walk down yeah. Queen Street and they're yeah. all over the place. Wow. And the likes of like Tonkin Taylors, um, they would go out and – dip the meters every now and then to get a, an understanding of what their water level is. So by putting some technology and that's now done on an hourly basis so we know what the water levels are doing all the time yep. and they can then use that data and, and, and make better informed decisions about things, you know, issues like liquidfaction, mm. you know, which is obviously something that was really big down in Christchurch. Yep. You know, there's those kind of things that we can solve. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> I can talk about this all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what would be an, another sort of ex, you know an, another New Zealand 
example that you you know you've been involved in that, that might be of interest to um, listeners? Sure. So Christchurch City Council is currently doing um uh, doing a, a um a trial of um, four sensors through the Avon uh, River and some of the Rickerton drains and things that feed into the Avon uh, River. My so, old stomping ground. Your old stomping ground. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's really interesting um, because technology, it, the way that councils and businesses still see it is the grab samples are the way that they currently do it. Mm, so bringing mm. technology in has to change um, policy, has to change um, you know things that go around how the government see the environment should be tested. So we're doing a trial down there at the moment um, through the Avon uh, River, which is which has been a really good trial. It's been going on for about um, four or five months. Um, you know, so that's been really useful, and that's been really helpful for us to understand um, our technology better as well, because we're working with the council. So there's a lot more um, need for quality assurance um, um, in that process. So we were able to, you know, go through a better QA process and understand how the sensors work a bit more, a bit better than we did already. Um, and we started partnering with companies like Hills Laboratories, who have been really um, important part of our process where we've taken our technology through a lab and made sure that the accuracy we have within our sensors is what we say the accuracy is of the sensors, which helps get the, uh, the government departments um, on board. Yeah, that's that's really important, isn't it? Because if you go from, you know, taking samples and then they're going back to a lab, yep. then, you know, the, the results you're going to get off that, say, compared to a sensor, yes. you know, the, the, it's, it's completely different. Um, oh. you know, te- technology. Totally. And so, you know, they're not necessarily going to directly yeah, uh, yeah. correlate or, or line up well, in, in exactly well, the well, same yes, way, is Yes, it? they uh, they can do. It's very interesting. Like some of the things I've discovered is uh, water is no different to clouds. You can have, you know, 10 centimetres of water and the, the different measurements come out of those two different pieces of water. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the water is constantly changing as it's picking up sediment and dirt yeah, and yeah. DNA from animals and bugs and stuff. So it's constantly changing mm-hmm. through the whole process. So with this E. coli sensor, what we've got is is we've um you know for example we've we've now pinpointed it down to a, a, a to a finite process where we put the sensor in the water and we measure the sensor with the grab sample to the second the sensor takes the sample within thirty centimeters and then get that to the lab, and we've actually been finding the results very, very close. Mm, okay. Oh, that's great. So, you know, so we've been going through that kind of process to make mm, our products mm, better, to make the technology better. Yeah. And, and you know, I guess, we you know, we will see a range of new sensors kind of coming out over the years ahead. I don't know who's working on Absolutely. on that stuff, whether anybody in New Zealand is, um, is actually building and, and inventing those sensors, but... Uh, that's that's quite a key to all of this, isn't it? Is it that is. we've got sensors that can measure all the right sort of things quickly and, and, absolutely. and on an automated basis. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the sensors that we're seeing now in the field, you know, some of them are going for, you know, you know, have have, have been around for 25, 30 years. Some of them in you know been around for five or six years. We, we do have a local New Zealand company, yep. Lincoln Agritech. Okay. Uh, make a uh, groundwater nitrate sensor called the Hydrometrics. So it is a New Zealand company and it Excellent. is an hour on the global stage. So they do exist. Um, and, you know, these sensors are continuously being improved in the process. So, you know, five years ago, the hydrometrics to the hydrometrics today, the firmware is, you know, two or 300 firmwares further on. It's more accurate. It's more forgiving. It does it, it, does it better. Same with all the technology that exists out there. It's, mm. just a, it's just a, it's a constant improvement process. 
Um, it's my job to find those sensors and it's my job to keep my ear on the ground and it's my job to solve these, 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 these kinds of problems. Um, you know, from, from construction perspective, measuring dust and noise and vibration, really important construction sites. Yep. I've been re- relatively expensive and hard to reach for some construction companies mm, mm. where we're able to bring a, a noise meter to market for, you know, $7,000. So it makes it a lot easier for a construction company to monitor their state of compliance, to know where they sit so that they, so that they don't get complaints from, from the people around them so they can, you know, be in a really good state. Yeah, that's good. And so for you and your team, what does the the future look like? What sort of scale are you at now? You've had sure. you've had investment in recent years, Spark are, yes. are now uh, yes. it's a pretty major shareholder, they aren't are, they? Yes, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yes. Um so we've uh, we've got uh, I think it's 18 staff now in total. We're based in Freeman's Bay. Um if anyone ever wants to pop in and see what we're doing, you know, feel free to look us up. We got investment from Spark about a year ago, so they came on board as an investment partner. Which enabled us to, you know, also gain access to some of the larger markets that, as a small company, we weren't able to to access. You know, work with the Fletchers and Winstones and Firth Concrete. You know, some some of those larger companies. Mm. So yeah, it's been a really, really, um, really cool growth. We, we're we're definitely um, we're definitely going to see um, the next nine months is going to be a very um, big growth for us, especially in the construction space. You know, construction is our biggest growing section at the moment. We're mm, just releasing mm. an entire range of portable monitoring kits inside of Pelican cases, effectively. Mm. So you know, you know, ease of ease of access, a little IT device that you go and put on a tripod in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it just works. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're also like from a, te- a technical perspective, we're um, you know looking at in- integrating into satellites a lot more for those really hard to reach you know s- you know spaces where the Spark network isn't there yet because there's no need for it to be there. So it means we're able to go in the middle of nowhere and put a sensor and run it there and leave it there for five years and and, and it will keep on working. So Yeah, saw the news recently, you know, Spark have got their satellite option uh, coming on stream uh, very as, close as, as well. So, uh, you know, they've got the the deal, the deal's been done, which is, is great. Yeah, so, so they've uh, got a, um, there's a network called, I don't know if you've heard of, I don't, don't get too technical, NBIOT. It stands for narrowband IoT. Right, right. It's a very small portion of the of 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 a cell phone network. Yeah, that enables a, a slightly further reach, a, a, a more, um, you know, it can sort of penetrate through concrete layers and stuff. Mm, there's, mm. A, there's a company um, in Spain um, that uh, we're looking to part of being a part of the trial for. Yep. Um, they are doing NBIT from satellites, so it will automatically roam. The, the same SIM card that Spark give you will roam to a satellite or a cell phone tower. Amazing. Automatically. So there's some pretty cool. There's some pretty cool tech out there now. Well, I look forward to uh, how all of that develops. That's great. Keeping my ear to the ground all the time. You know, yeah, I love this yeah. tech. Great to uh, great to catch up again, Auric. Uh, really cool, and we'll we'll certainly look forward to uh, an opportunity to have you back on New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, in the future and and get some you know further updates as uh, as things progress. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on the NZ Tech Podcast, Paul. Yeah. Appreciate uh, it. A real pleasure. Well, thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, we'll be back again next week with uh, another episode of New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, big thank you to our show partners to Gorilla Technology. Uh, 1NZ, HP, Spark, and 2 Degrees. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next week. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.